welcome to Down to Earth Combos Down Under, episode 20. In this episode, we're joined by Damien Doc Murdoch to explore the self-talk that goes on in our heads and how you can be that voice in your child's mind, even when you're not physically present. Hi there, Brad, over in WA, and hi to Doc here with me today. So um, welcome back to the show, Damien. Let's, and <laughs> he's waving, let's let everyone know your background. So Damien Murdoch is a mind coach and anxiety management specialist who has founded a company called World Class Friend to help people take charge of their anxiety. Doc does this by giving people an awareness of what's happening in their mind and body to create the anxiety in the first place. And the checklists that we need to do both in the moment and when you feel the symptoms coming on. Is that right, Doc? That's right. And the strategies that that you're going to teach us to prevent it happening in the in the first place. That's it. Okay, so we're talking about taking charge of our anxiety. That's it. You do that both consciously using your mind and then unconsciously that's what's being triggered, um, you know, without your thinking. This, yeah. And then that goes on to give you the, the anxiety symptoms. I feel like saying something right now. Our, is our mind our worst enemy or is that just a little bit harsh of me saying something like that? Well, it can be. You can either, you can either be your greatest asset or it can be your worst enemy. So you just want to make sure your worst enemy isn't between your ears as, um, who said that, a big wave surfer, Hamilton Laird. Uh-huh, yeah, I know make, the name. Yeah, yeah, make sure your own worst enemy isn't between your own ears, yeah. And we are going to be touching on those voices in our head today. Is that another word for that? Is that internal dialogue or self-talk? Yeah, self-talk is what I call it. Internal dialogue is, yeah, what it's commonly known as. And because our audience are parents, parents raising kids, of course, the kids, we hope they're not anything else, other species, but teenagers and even, even younger or older, it doesn't matter. So we're going to be talking about uh, something that we led on from our last conversation that we had when we were talking about taking charge of anxiety. We were talking about uh, coaching in the professional arena, like say tennis coaching. And I know yeah. you're into AFL sport and, and I used to be in sort of am now still. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about we're going to be talking about what sort of voices do we want our kids to hear in their minds when the parents aren't around, something like that. That's it. Because with elite coaches, what you're really paying for is that wisdom in your head. Like when you know, you use the example of tennis. When you're out there, you're out you're out there on the tennis court on your own. There's no one, no one else there to help you. So you employ that coach to impart their wisdom on you so that you've got that voice in your own head when the time comes in the in the big moments and it's that that plays out right through life you know so you want to be that elite coach for your kids and you know, coaching them in those moments that's right and i remember when you were teaching me about this you were talking about because back then we were sort of around the australian open time mm. and you i learned from you that the coach is the coach in the box is not allowed to look at the player or something like that. Or what can you tell me a bit about that again? Yeah, tennis coaches, they're in the stands, but they're not allowed to communicate with their player. So if you know, Andre Agassi's book is an amazing autobiography, and he talks about how lonely that is. Like you're out there sometimes four hours or whatever, and you're you're on your own. You know, it's not a team sport where you've got your teammates to to work, you know, to work with. You're out there on your own. And if you watch the tennis, they'll actually look up at their box. You know, when they're under pressure, they'll look up at their box, but they're not, the coach isn't allowed to say anything to them, but the player is sort of picturing what the coach would be saying. Do you, do you know what I mean? So like got telepathically. That, exactly. Because they've heard it before, you know, so that voice is in their head. Yes. Yeah. And so that's the voice you want to be 
for your kids, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. yes. So we're going to get into that and if we can use like real life examples, even, you know, asking, bouncing off so we can sort of find out what messages that I'm hearing from my mum who's my mum and dad who are upstairs type thing. It's amazing. So does this voice that's planted or like these seeds that are planted from the voices of our parents, is that happening in our really early formative years? Generally, yeah. So it generally happens up to the age of seven. We're basically programmed um, by the age of seven, but then there's, um authority figures you know later on you know you can employ coaches and you've got you know you've then got that wisdom in your in your head and also another thing that happens is you have significant emotional events so you know yes. you might be subjected to some sort of trauma you know just basic rejection that we all go through you know teenage years whether it's relationships or sporting teams or whatever it might be you interpret that situation you, you give it meaning and then that's set up as a you know as a belief in your body but it's just you know this voice continues to to carry through your life and we've all got this do you, do you understand the concept of voices like do you do you feel like you get that brad yeah definitely and what i'm getting like on the theory side of things is that it needs to be like a, a close bond for it to, to work like if if the family's a little bit distant and they don't communicate so well uh, that voice is going to be extremely weak. But if the family is strong, they tell each other everything or almost everything, there's uh, a lot of love, trust, respect, connection, and genuine and deep. Uh, I feel like that is going to really, when people are in situations, when kids are in situations, teenagers, that voice is going to be 10 times louder and more present and more meaningful. Is that right? Yeah, on, on the positive side, but, you know, sometimes you can just have one thing said to you, you know, it can still be a distant relationship, but you have one thing said to you and you take that on as fact, you know, that becomes a belief that then gets triggered the rest of your life through the rest of your life. And that's that voice that's set up, you know, so a lot of us will have, we'll have an excited or a fun voice, but then a lot of us uh, tend to be more familiar with the harsher voices. Mm, you know, you've got you've got a worried voice, a scared voice, a you know, a poor me voice, and then you know, a lot of us have got like an angry streak as well. So, yeah, when I first started doing this work, I thought this was going to be a really weird concept for a lot of people, but most people really get it. So you you introduce it, and a lot of people have actually got a name for some of these characters, you know, because we've all got this cast of characters, and it's really funny. A lot of people have got a name, whether it's Esther or, you know, <laughs> oh, she's the one that pops up when when this happens. So it's... Um, Mine's Susie. <laughs> yeah, right. Is she a fun one? She sounds she, fun. Yeah, she's radically <laughs> fun, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, that's it. So interesting, but I didn't, you know, consciously know, but I, I got myself, oh my God, that was an alley. That must have been Susie fucking it. up yeah. that night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a really good example. But So Doc, can you give us an example of what one of those voices might sound like? Right. Well, one, I mean, for me this morning, even coming out here, like this, doing this sort of thing is basically fairly comfortable. It's in my comfort zone now, but it wasn't in the past. Yes, so I know. You know very well, but coming out here this morning the voice still starts like it's you know it was like oh you, you're too tired to be doing this you just oh you should have gone to bed earlier you should you know like it, all this thing starts but now with what i know that you know with the work i've done getting to know the voices you're just sort of able to laugh at it you're like going oh here it is here it goes rather than actually get into that downward spiral of self-talk which then puts you into a state that doesn't allow you to come here and perform properly do you know That's what I mean? Very, yeah, very to add value and make a difference point. and because do you... 
Yeah, so there's this concept of uh, when you're meditating and uh, doing that sort of thing is watching the, the watcher. So you're the one that watches the what's happening in your mind. You're a sort of non-judgmental uh, observer of those thoughts. And I, I thought that was a really interesting way that you frame that because that's exactly what you're doing right there. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So that's with meditation. You know, a lot of people are expecting something magic to happen when they start meditating, whereas really for, for me, if you can, you know, find, lay down, sit down, find somewhere quiet, and even just for a minute, try to have no thoughts, just cut focus on your breathing. But if you do a minute, you're doing really well. So what you're doing is just when the voice starts, when your focus starts to drift off to something else, just sort of notice where it goes, see what you're saying to yourself, see what you're annoyed about, see which voice is popping up and and talking to you and that's that's a really powerful real realization you know and that's that's really where you start with meditation i think okay and when you that does pop up doc what do you say to that particular voice if it was a protector for example or a, you know the self-doubt talk what do you say in a meditation in in that sort of process well just in the meditation process i just acknowledge that it's there and and who it is but in, in general life, you know, because what you what you start to do is you try to notice this happening through the day because these voices are starting up all day, every day. They're starting early, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, They're up early sure. with the sparrows. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, so really just you know, acknowledge what they're saying because initially that voice, it's, it's hard to describe in a short period of time, but initially that voice was set up to protect you. It's got a purpose and so... You sort of acknowledge what it's got to say, but then it was often set up when you were a little kid, you know, to protect an eight-year-old or a five-year-old or whatever. Whereas we know we know better than that now, so we sort of know better than that voice, if you know what I mean. So it's sort of just a matter of acknowledging what it says, often laughing at it, laughing at the fact that this is happening. Because once you get to that stage, it hasn't got power over you. And so with the work I do with people on on in this area it's basically just getting to have a laugh at what's going on and then you know then you know people are calling me randomly through the day and just sort of saying oh you wouldn't believe what just happened this but once you laugh at it it's lost its power yeah you know i mean you've actually taken charge of of the voices in your head which really govern your, your life your destiny yeah, exactly sure. yeah and and it's we don't want to laugh like there's some nasty voices um out there but it's like when these phone calls come in from your clients with that you wouldn't believe what this voice has told me today. Is that, was that what you sort of yeah, said? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Like I went through, cause I used to suffer depression. My life was like a roller coaster, and I don't get it very often, but a couple of weeks ago I had a situation where I had to go against, you know, a group of people sort of stand up for what I believed in. And then later on, like I was on, it was on a Sunday and I just, you know, I laid down just to have a rest, watch some footy, and this voice just started, you know. And in the past, I would have gone into this deep depression because it was, I just real. I remembered how harsh that voice used to be. But back in the day, I didn't, I wasn't the observer, as you said, Brad. I didn't even know that was me, I thought, you know. So I just, it had just drive me into this depression. Whereas I was able to, and it was, I was surprised at how harsh it was. Like it still was gave me a bit of a fright, but I, I didn't go into the depression. Does that make yeah, sense? You didn't allow it to go spiralling down any further. Yeah. Can I ask, which we were touched on earlier, is it the early childhood or a significant emotional event that, that triggers that, you know, harsh voice that you were talking about? Yeah, well, it's usually can, set up, you know. In those early in years. In those early yeah, years, yeah. yeah. But it, it often, like, 
one of my most significant events was as a teenager and it's norm, normally a, a normal teenage thing. It was just rejection. Mm-hmm. But that this voice, that's when it really started kicking, kicking off for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, too. Yeah. So that's when my depression started was about, you know, 14. Yeah, they're tough years, aren't they? They say as teenage yeah. years, the, uh, you know, the, the neurologist, scientists and all the research shows that those 14, I think year nine, year 10, they're really tough years. And I think it's very important that parents kick in a gear and really be mindful of what's going on in their children's lives and in in their children's minds, yeah. Yeah, and the meaning they're putting on the things, things yes. as, you know, because it's so much is happening. There's so many new things happening when you're a kid and it's the meaning you're putting on those events. So it's sort of just, you know, it's a matter of talking to your kids and just sort of seeing the way that they're interpreting those things. That's right. Now you have a formula for this, the five finger formula, don't you? This is to change the meaning or perception or identifying. You've got a process there. Yeah, it's more, it's a five finger formula, I call it. So it's more to take charge of your emotional state. So when something's happened, whether you've got a, a speech you're about to give or a goal you're about to kick or whatever it might be, there's, you know, sometimes the voice can come in, your focus, um, you know, the mind movie you're running in your mind can go to everything that can go wrong. So it's just a matter of, I, I just use this formula to um, to take charge of your emotional state. So you're cutting off that downward spiral into a state like anxiety or, or you know, depression, sadness, whatever it is, and you're taking charge of your emotional state. So And introducing a, a different picture, a different movie? Absolutely. The just, yeah, <laughs> instead of spiralling down to a negative result, it's going up to a positive result, make sure you're in the right emotional state to deliver that speech or to kick that goal or whatever it might be. So when, how I, I came came up with this was I learned all this information at, um, you know, NLP courses and all these other personal development courses I did and thought that that was magic and that's great. But then I'd go to something like a job interview and I'd be at the front of, in the car and the, the voices start and you know and then it was i'll just get into a state and you you start to get that panic i used to get panic attacks and so what what actually happens there is your the frontal cortex of your brain that that remembers things and you know where you do your thinking the activity there stops and it goes back to the you know with fight or flight it goes back to the primitive parts of the brain so you can't remember what to do in the moment when when you need it so with this five finger formula i use a, a skill called an anchor to yes. anchor it onto your body. So it's just an automatic thing. You touch your thumb, you remember what to do. You touch the next finger, you remember what to do. You know, so it's not, you're not needing that, you know, frontal cortex as much. You're not needing that that memory. The, so your five fingers are your anchor. You've already done the work where you go through the five finger process, but yeah. you know what this yeah. one means, don't you? With the, That's it. Yeah, so, the self-talk, the meat, physiology, self-talk. You want to yeah, talk so about that? Yeah, so it's like the... the the thumb is getting your physiology right. So getting yeah. your posture right, getting your breathing deep, you know, putting a smile on your face, lifting your eyes, all those things that change the chemicals. What, what we're trying to do is change the, the chemicals that are released in your body because that's what an emotional state is. It's a bunch of chemicals, right? So it's like using the thumb. So what, the way I remember that and anchor it in for people is I use it as an old-fashioned joystick. So you sort of you pull it back and that pulls your shoulders back and you take that and you know you talk about i've heard you talk about that before how that raises testosterone lowers cortisol oh that's right you know yeah I mean? I've so learned you this go through, into that yeah, yeah you go into that power stance power pose, the power pose which i'm sort of standing a little bit like that with the just legs like slightly separated if you put your yep. hands on your hips 
Yeah, it lowers cortisol, increases testosterone. testosterone that's so it. the power pose, it's a good one for everyone to look up. Yep. So this is part of the physiology. Yep, so that's your thumb. Then your forefinger is is that self-talk, that meaning that we're putting on things. How are you interpreting this situation? How is that influencing, you know, the state that we're going into? So it's just, so it's your physiology, it's getting your self-talk right. And I've got a process that- um, Yeah, it takes some time. Meaning yeah. questions, which you, you, know, you, you learn. And then over time that becomes a, a natural thing you, um, in taking charge of that meaning you're putting on things. Quality questions that yep. you ask yourself. And then the next three fingers is just, a, it's a three part focus process. So it's, what do I want here? And so it's getting that mind movie of what you actually want to happen rather than- that what you don't want exactly that impending doom that we don't want to focus on that to, you know because even kicking for goal for example you go into what's going to happen if if, if i, I miss if it. I miss and all that and that doesn't put you in a state to 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 kick the goal yep. so it's a lot what do i want who do i need to be to get to get that so that's you know i set up what's called a trademark or people might call a credo so they know what who they need to be is it bold and courageous is it you know if you're doing a speech is it light and um, light and joyful or whatever yeah. it might be, you know, and you set up and you step into that best version of yourself rather than the, you know, the version that's maybe not going to perform as well. And then finally is just what action can I take? Action. Right. So it's just, so it's five, it's a five-step process just to change your emotional state into a state where, you know, you can perform whatever you're going to do. Great work. I love that last one too, action. Life rewards action. It doesn't, it, nothing really eventuates if you're not going to actually take yeah. that action step yeah oh that's excellent work so i reflect back when uh i mean we've known each other for quite a while doc and i and we met out on the training track like, which is noosa heads by the way running the national park which is the, the sunshine coast and melfi coast isn't it don't you love it and then i introduced you to my young son who was into film and you were building up your business your coaching and mind coaching you know taking charge of anxiety business and then you engaged Bailey in a project, didn't you? Yeah. And this was, I brought this up because it's a really good example of self-talk. So that day, like he was a, he was 13 years old, but he was a genius at making videos. And I was running a seminar and had to make an advertising video. So I got Bailey to, to do that for me. And we were, we were shooting one day and he forgot something. I think it was a charger or something like that. It was the cha battery charger from, battery I recall. Charger, and we'll yeah. just explain that I live inland and Noosa yeah. Heads is like at least a 15, 20 minute drive to Sunshine yeah. so Beach. So it cost us say. about an hour. So it was one of those things. It wasn't the end of the world, but it was a little bit annoying. But if that was me, I would have gone into this, like would have ruined my day, you know, if I'm, if I'm Bailey, you know. But I dropped him um, out to your place and he ran inside and got it. And I thought to myself, look, I'm, I'll have a bit of a chat to him and get, when he gets back in the car, make sure that he's, you know, he's, he's not going to let this ruin, ruin his day or anything like that. And so he jumps back in the car and straight away just goes, now, Docker, that's happened. We're going to let that go and we're not going to let it ruin our day. And I've gone, I've thought, yeah, <laughs> it was this 13-year-old kid that was just this perfect mindset, you know, on how to approach things. And I thought you must have had a chat to him about it. Because so, you said to me later, didn't you? Yeah, I said to you later, did you ever talk to Bailey when... When he went inside but it was just this he had this process which i teach people but he already just had that he had that voice in his head that was coaching him in the right way to handle that situation so that's been set up for him so that's, that's been set example. up for him hasn't it and i'm wondering whether a little bit it's innate but i will let you know for the parents listening today that i believe that you know i have a lot to do with that as the parent with raising my three kids and it goes i remember my first child it's like if she 
they make such a mess when they're young kids. Like I'm talking toddlers, like under the age of two years old. They drop stuff, it goes all over the floor. I just used to say, doesn't matter, pick it up, clean it up. And they would drop things, make a mess, smash it up. I just go, oh, okay, no worries. This is, we can fix this, those sort of conversations. And and I, I remember saying, uh, I just recently had a conversation with my middle son who's into wealth building. And there's some pretty volatile investments out there that we all know what we're talking about. You know what I mean? This digital currency, cryptocurrency. So I'm sort of planting the seed because I'm a little bit old school. And I'm saying things like to my son, now just, you know, money's a game. So like invest and what if it, if it turns out you'll lose money, you can always make it back. You're young and you've got time on your side. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's sort of like almost pre- prepping them for what could happen. And then if it does happen where crypto goes to nothing, for example, you know, I go, well, okay, well, you, you knew the risk going in, you've lost some money or what have you. So that's just a, just an example. But those conversations for me, have started from a very young age with my child. Yeah. And I think it stems from my mum's messages that yeah. she gave to me, which is like one of the powerful sayings would be, don't worry about the things you cannot change, you know? So, cause we beat ourselves up internally, don't we? When things don't go right. Yeah. So I think this is a great message for parents. What sort of things can they be saying to their kids from as early as possible, Doc? Yeah, well, you've, given an example there of how it gets passed down generation to generation with a lot of, with finances, for example, those things getting passed down generation to generation, often you trace them back and they might've come from the great depression. So people's yes. belief systems around finances get passed down from that scarcity. Yep. And then, you know, you're sort of born into that in a way. Yeah. And that's the beliefs that, you know, been planted. Yeah, exactly. Or, that's what sort of manifests. Yeah, that's the seed that becomes a belief, which actually is limiting. If I've come, because yeah, I'm it. the old school, so my yeah. parents have come out of the Great Depression. We've spoken about this on previous podcasts, haven't we, Brad? Yeah. With different mindset coaches as well. So I have a, a polar opposite example to share with people that my mum was. She was coming out of the Great Depression. So she remembers the stories. I remember the stories because my grandparents told us the stories too. Rations, like it's just seriously, Mm. like I didn't have to look that one up in the dictionary. Like that is just, that comes from my childhood. My mum used to say things like, Oh, you're so lucky these days. We weren't, we didn't even have chocolate bars because <laughs> we, we used to whinge about walking to school. My mum used to relate it to having chocolate, for goodness sakes. All that stuff. Yeah, and then there's my dad who on the other side was like a live in the now, cool, way back, live in the now type of guy, which could, and he was older than my mum, so big, large family of 13. Mm. So you could just imagine how scarce certain things, probably even food was. So I think that money would leave him. Because he was really, because that can happen too, can't it? So you can hold on to it. Like my mum was like more like it's scarce, it's rare. We value it and we hold on to it. And it means security, independence. And then their dad was like, hey, you know, we're not here for a long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's fun, friends and family. So it was that nice yeah. polar opposite. So it's way I operate, operate really. Is it? That's, <laughs> yeah, that so. sounds good. So let's talk about an abundancy mindset. How can we plant that seed if we're relating it to parents raising financially independent kids? What sort of abundancy things, messages could we plant in our children's minds? So what's your thoughts on that? That's what you basically teach, isn't it? Yes, I do. And, and it's really great because I've come from the scarcity mindset. So I have to work on, like with mindset coaches like yourself, of being 
of opening the channel so the money flows. Right. So the abundancy. And it's funny because I'm married a polar opposite as well. So my husband just feel he has an abundancy mindset. Yeah, right. You can just make money. I don't even have to invest in the stock market. I can plant a I can plant this plant and I know how much it's going to be worth. Yeah. I don't have to rely on other, you know, bit, you know, CEOs running that company for me. He just has this really gun ho income I can make money. Yeah, so that's um, good balance. Yeah, that's yeah, so that's a balance. Yeah. So yeah, for me, um, you know, I'm a little bit conservative in nature, but you just I think financial education is key. So yeah. I would just encourage parents to financially educate their kids. And what's happening now, I believe, is I think our kids have come to us with knowledge. Yeah. So we're learning from them. It's a it's a two way thing, isn't it? You know, we're yeah yeah we're the parents and we've got the wisdom and we're like. <laughs> Like, I'll tell you what my son is saying to me. It's like he has to go and get a wealth coach to undo some of the limiting mindset beliefs that he's come because he's been raised by generations of a limiting mindset. So this is interesting conversation that I didn't know was going to go this way, but thanks, Doc. (laughs) But that's the, I mean, that's the um, financial side of things too, but there's also that just as financial beliefs get passed down, other beliefs get passed down as well, which, you know, create, the anxiety that I sort of deal with, you know, so it's ways that you're expected to act, you know, things you should and shouldn't do, all those sorts of things get passed down and and taken on and then, you know, can cause anxiety for people later on. You know, little girls are to be seen and not heard, you know. That's little top- girls? I thought it was kids. <laughs> little kid, all that sort of it stuff. It was like, seriously, know? kids yeah. should be seen and not heard. That's the, yeah. that's exactly, oh, my goodness, you really hit one on the head there. Yeah, so it was a fear I'm of sure public speaking, cool. you know. Then, yes which is a really common, you know, common in society. That's that's just an, an example of, of how that can influence yeah. something like that. That was That's really interesting you bring that one up. I know we're going to flip over to Brad for his comments, but I, was, I remember the adults that were very kind to me and nice to me and treated me like a human being, which we are, when I was a young child. And I'll let you know that I love to acknowledge little kids yeah. at whatever age, it doesn't matter. I acknowledge, I'd like yeah. to, I think everyone deserves a smile yeah. and hi, how are you? And I'll get down at their level. So I just, yeah, you know. that's something that was instilled into me from a young age. That's beautiful. Yeah. What do you reckon, that's Brad? That's good. I... One thing I pick up on is that there's kind of a balance here between the implicit, which is what you model for them in terms of when you're talking about raising your kids and, you know, not catastrophizing when there was something, but, you know, a practical solution, let's just clean it up and handle it. But also having those explicit conversations about it. Would you say either one of those should sort of dominate or is it kind of a balance between the two? Yeah, for me, I mean, you're basically coaching your kid in how you would like something done going forward for the rest of their life. So you're, you're just sort of programming that, you know, you are that voice going forward. So you're basically programming that, that into them. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. So parents definitely need coaching on those, on programming. Yeah. That, it in, really does. In a way, because I was thinking about it on the way out here, actually, because I'm getting more and more, teachers and um, parents of teens and even it seems to 10, 11 year olds a lot. Yes, yeah. So who have got anxiety. And I was actually thinking about on the way out here, whether it's really the parents that need the the coaching on how to coach, if you know what I mean. So oh, I like know you can, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, because it's like you can say you can coach the kid, but if things still aren't right in the home or at school or wherever it is. You Go know, to the root cause. 
Yeah, well, yeah, but a lot of parents they want they want to help, you know, they want yeah. to sort this out for their kid, but they actually don't really know themselves. So, so if it's almost like, and you you've got restrictive confidentiality because I know in my family coaching that I speak to the kids, the teens, and the parents, and if the team did share something that was confidential, very private, you'd get permission from them to speak about it or bring it up to the table to speak to the family about it, and then the parents. I've got this inkling now because we don't make very good mind readers, do we, Doc? Yeah, so it's just as far as reading the... Reading the kid's mind about what's going on for them. But if you're in a coaching session and they reveal something that's um, deep, you know, at their core yeah. that's concerning them, the parent can help if they knew what it was. For in, sure, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if they actually, if, they're, if they know the concept of self-talk and know the concept of putting meaning on things and so on, then they're able to pick that up when the kid's talking. Yeah, you know, you're able to once you learn about beliefs. Beliefs are really evident in a conversation. You know, if, if we have a conversation, I'll, yeah. I'll recognise your beliefs. You know, yes. because they're very evident. You know, yes, so it's right. once you once you know what to look for, you can see that in your kids. You can you can hear that. Yes. Yeah, so you train the parents on identifying the child's beliefs. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's getting triggered. And the meaning, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. and the meaning they're the attaching they're to things. Yeah. Wonderful. So I was talking about the, what you were just going back. I have a friend who's a dog whisperer. He's right. a lovely guy. He's based in 1770, for those who know where 1770 is, gorgeous little town. He is, well, he, he's not a dog trainer. He's a people trainer. Right. He, he's not training the dogs. That's exactly he's training the owner and yeah. he's a real character and he's just gold. He's absolutely excellent. Chris DeBoitz. Yes. Yeah, it's so. the same thing with Super Nanny. Have you ever watched Super Nanny? Yeah, I think, I guess yeah, I have um, years yeah. ago. That's yeah, a great thing. She's the, the parents, you know, because that's what's. That's where the problem is. Yeah, and she, she's a genius, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what she's doing. It's just programming. Programming. Yeah. And we've got to unprogram our kids or if, reprogram them. It, well, if they've got something like anxiety, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If they're not getting the results that, you know, you want, then yeah. Yeah, you've got to change something. Yeah. That's right. But if they're an Andre Agassi, we're not re reprogramming Andre, are we, as far as his, well, his behaviour might need reprogramming from those years where he used to throw his tennis racket. Yeah, that's a fascinating story. Like if you want to Have we got read time? an autobiography, <laughs> you're like that's a really great autobiography, yeah. Well, he was a character. Oh, no, yeah. was it him, Andre Agassi? No, Andre Agassi was a good one. It's the other one. The one that used to throw his tennis racket. McEnroe. He was a naughty boy, wasn't yeah. he? I think Agassi was regarded as that when he was younger, but then he yeah. changed yeah. later on, yeah. Yeah, and from I, I haven't read the book, but he was from a little age. He had that tennis racket in his hand. His dad yeah, was onto him, do you reckon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. maybe so Tiger Woods' old story. man was there onto him too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Behind every successful athlete is a... What would you say? I mean, just not every successful parents. athlete, but when you when you look at Agassi's story, it's really a story of meaning, really, and purpose. You know, so he he was the number one player in the world, but hated tennis. You know, oh and, and just was really quite quite depressed, really. So then, when he found meaning that he and, and purpose in his life, that he didn't want kids to go through what he went through as a kid, as far as schooling and all that sort of thing goes, he then set up his own school and then he played tennis for that purpose so yeah. we actually had a purpose to be the best in the world and that's when everything changed for him that's when he became the inspiration that we all know him as now oh goosebumps from yeah, head to toe yeah wow. so it's just that meaning or purpose yeah and that was possibly his purpose of being is to become number number one tennis player and then realize that yeah the school system which is what we're all about yeah that 
there's so many disengaged kids because they're learning things that they absolutely have no interest in yeah. and to taught to chant, memorize and regurgitate. That's not the answer for learning, is it? It's going within and finding out what your innate passion and purpose is. And, yes. and, and that's where you'll shine. Yeah. Beautiful. Andre Agassi, let's get the book. It's one of the best autobiographies I've ever read. Yeah, for sure. Really? It's called Open. Open. Yeah. Good title. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Brad? I was thinking uh, whether you have any key takeaways from today, Ali. Well, you know what? Uh, just that last little bit about Andre Agassi, and I know a girlfriend was reading it on a book, uh, the, reading that book on a holiday that I was on there with her, and I just didn't. I'm going to get that book because I think that's a really powerful message right there. But uh, being that voice in your child's head that when you're not there, that's what you want them to hear. That's really, really cool. So people, experts, athletes in all areas, business, business leaders and, and world leaders pay for coaches like yourself, mindset coaches. So these this is valuable, this information, Abs this five-finger formula. Yeah, absolutely. Because once you set that voice up, it's there. You know, then you're coaching yourself for the rest of your life. And you can once you're at that point, you can basically you know, do anything. That's my key takeaway. That one right there mm. is set your once you've set your voice up, yeah. You've set it up for life. Yeah. And then you're your own coach. That's it. And you can do anything. Well, that's my key takeaway. Well, Thank it's you controlling for just... everything. Like that voice in your head, it's controlling the moment because what your body's listening to what your mind is saying and responding with chemicals that puts you in an emotional state, which then you act from. So your actions come from, from that. And then over time, that voice in your head is your programming going forward. It's sort of you're setting up the beliefs that are then getting triggered as you walk through the every day. So it's really, it's everything. It's everything. What's your key takeaway, Brad? For me, I think it's the idea of fixing yourself first or improving, maybe not fixing, maybe that's not the right uh, attitude and way to look at it, but maybe it's improving your way of thinking yourself so that then you can impart that both in the talk, like the implicit and the explicit when you discuss things uh, with your child. So yeah, definitely um, getting your own mindset right so that then you can help your children going forward. What about you, Yeah, because they're a reflection. Yeah. Yeah, and that's all we can all do for the world as well. You know, you can't really fix the whole world, but yes. you can you fix yourself and then yes. the, the ripple effect starts, you know. The ripple effect, exactly. The world will, will be a reflection of how you see yourself as well, hey? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, beautiful. That's nice. What about yourself, Doc? What would your key takeaway or what you'd like? You, you probably just said it just in those last few minutes. Basically, yeah. Like I really honestly believe that self-talk and what you're focused on is just – so so important in life and you know the getting to these beliefs and so yeah i mean if if things aren't going well for yourself or you know for your kids like we've been talking then yeah just get involved do the work and you can change things you can take charge of it yeah do yeah. the work yep and take charge well i've really enjoyed today doc thank you so Thanks, much Ellie. again for, in, for joining us in this mindset like we really got into some nitty-gritty stuff today that's going to help others parents and their kids thank you so much doc no worries thanks brad thanks doc where can our listeners thanks, learn brad. more about you okay so i've got a website called worldclassfriend.com yep. uh, so they can go there and on that on that website there's a coaching tab 
And if you look there, there's a, a group coaching program that I'm starting on June the 1st. So yeah, just see if we'll have a look through that, see if you, you want to get involved in that. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Damien Murdoch Mindset Coach, where I post a lot of stuff on there, both about anxiety and about, and about sport, peak performance in sport as well. And I've also got a page on Instagram and Facebook called Taking Charge of Anxiety, which is yeah, just based around, around anxiety. Now you have a course coming up too, I believe. What's the title of the yeah, course? Taking Charge of Anxiety is the name of the course. Yeah, that starts June the 1st. So that's on our website under the coaching tab. There's a group coaching because I've, I've always done one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I've added a group component now because I think it's really important when you're going through anxiety that often the people around you, that as much as they care about you, your friends or family, they don't really understand what you're going through. So I've added that group component to my coaching program now. So you've got people around you that can support you and cheerlead for you. And, you know, you can share challenges with and that sort of thing. And they sort of understand where you're at and you can sort of, we can all sort of help each other. Oh, that's wonderful. So that's, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That starts June the 1st. Okay, that's excellent. What a great what great work you're doing, Doc. Yeah, just keep it up and let's yeah. fill those seats in your coaching programs. Yeah, cool. Change more lives and help more no people. Worries. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, brilliant. I'll have links to all those in the comments and description section. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, ask a question, and it might turn into a podcast episode. Thanks, Doc. Bye. Cheers, Brad. Thanks, mate.